Morning, everybody. Good to see you. Man, I got up here. This light's so bright. I'm like, I forgot my sunglasses. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, well, I don't normally wear sunglasses when I preach. So it's okay. I just got to adjust for a second. Hey, is Julie Pierce still around? Yeah, Julie. Come on up, Julie, please. We can't let her off the hook that easily. Sorry, Julie. I know. I'm sorry. Hey, we wanted to... Uh, we're trying to figure out how many times can we mention Julie in one service here. No, I'm sorry. We love Julie so much. I got to talk about her a little bit last week, but uh, I know for me, she, she was one of the reasons I wanted to come to this church. For so many of you, I know the same uh, is true for you. Uh, Julie, this first of all, this is an official card of thanks from our church. Okay, we want to encourage uh, everyone. Uh, apparently, I haven't been out in the lobby this morning, but apparently there are flowers waiting for Julie and also a, a basket of cards where you can put those in there. Um, what can we say about Julie here? Well, let's, let, real quick. So Ju- I was trying to do the math in my head this morning. This year our church is 130 years old. And I was thinking Julie probably has been here longer. <laughs> Not that whole time. But probably longer than any other employee at the history of the church. 34 years. And so more than a quarter of Cedar Home's existence, you've been here. Yes, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, I'm not trying to make you feel old. I'll tell you, but I'll tell you what, the Lord's been so gracious, you're an important part of what has made Cedar Home, Cedar Home. And uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you've been around Cedar Home, you know that Julie, um, I believe she started when Mitch, around the same time Mitch started, around 86. And um, they were supposed to go out together, but she held on for a few more years. And um, anyways, you just know, Julie is much more than a secretary. Uh, Julie's been a counselor uh, for me. She's been a mentor, a confidant, somebody, honestly, of, of the people in this church, one of the people I trust most. And uh, she and Mike together are a team, and Mike and their whole family have given so much to uh, this church. And you just have an awesome legacy. We're glad you're hanging around. You're not going anywhere. And so I, I had received some emails this week. Is she going anywhere? I'm like, no, don't worry. She's, she's hanging around. And so uh, we just love you, and uh, we want to honor you well today. Let's let's hear it one more time for Julie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got your Bible with you, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Let me see here. Verse 10. And also, um, once you get that, if you're able to turn to Nehemiah 4, verse 1, if you're fast. If you're not, we'll put it on the screen too, so that's okay. Um, This week, in my quiet times with God, I've been in the book of Nehemiah. And I came to a passage this week that really goes hand in hand with where we're at in Ephesians. Just uh, to uh, recap here, what's going on in Nehemiah? We're going to jump in real quickly in Nehemiah 4. Jerusalem's enemies, the Babylonians, 
they broke down Jerusalem's walls. They burned the entire city to the ground. Everything inside Jerusalem, the temple, the houses, everything in Jerusalem was obliterated. And the Babylonians took these, the, the Jews as prisoners and they led them far away out of their country where they would live as exiles for many years. But in God's timing, the Lord graciously changed the heart eventually of the Babylonian ruler. And he suddenly decided to allow the Israelites to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their city, to rebuild their homes, to rebuild their temple. And obviously this, this was a massive time of celebration for the Jews. They were so excited to finally go home and build their place again. And as they began to do that, as they were rebuilding their city, they were confronted by many more enemies who mocked them, who threatened them, and who tried to stop them from succeeding in building up their walls and building up their homes and the temple. So let's, let me read briefly Nehemiah 4, uh, verses 1 to 14. And I'll do my best to pronounce some difficult words, okay? <clears throat> now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly in enraged and he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria what are these feeble Jews doing will they restore it for themselves will they sacrifice will they finish up in a day will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said yeah what are they building if a fox goes up on it he will break down their stone wall Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Whenever God advances his kingdom on earth, there's always opposition. God's people and their leaders will be ridiculed, 
They will be tempted to quit following God and they will be attacked by enemies. And this was true for the Israelites. This is true for us. And this was true for the Christians in Ephesus. See, God is not using us Christians to build a physical kingdom. He's using us to build a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. And the enemies who oppose the kingdom of God are spiritual enemies. Now, if you think about about all we've been through since whenever we started Ephesians earlier this year, think about all the amazing spiritual blessings that Paul has described for us that are ours in Christ. Let's just take a minute and do that, okay? So he says this briefly, Christian, starting chapter one, in Christ, God predestined you. In Christ, God redeemed you on the cross by ransoming you, by removing your sin from you, by already declaring you holy and blameless before him. God already raised you from the dead in your sin. He made you alive in Christ by his grace alone, which you partook in through faith in Jesus alone. God put an end to the hostility between you and him. He reconciled you to himself through Jesus and then he adopted you into his family as his son or daughter. And then he sent his Holy Spirit into you to seal your salvation. See, God has done this for you by his grace and he continues to do this for people from all people groups as the gospel is proclaimed through all the earth in the kingdom of God. God's light pushes back the kingdom of darkness on earth. And so now, as members of the kingdom of light, we abide in Jesus, right? We abide in him every day, and God is giving us power to live new lives of faith in him as we put off our old selves, if we put off our new selves in Christ. And as part of this family, we pursue unity among one another. We serve one another as though we're serving Jesus Christ himself. And as we are doing these things, we need to be cognizant, be aware of what's actually happening that we can't see with our eyes. And that is that as we're living this life right here, we're fighting in the most epic battle in the history of the universe. When Jesus died and rose again, he defeated for his church her most terrible enemies, Satan, and the power of sin, and hell, and death. So Satan has been defeated already, amen? But God has not yet thrown Satan into the lake of fire. That day is coming, and we pray that day comes very soon. And until that day, Satan and his demons are working hard to oppose God working hard to oppose his kingdom. His, uh, Satan and his demons are tempting, they are trapping, they are attacking men, women, teenagers, and children. And so the Lord tells us in today's passage, if you wanna enjoy the victory that I already won for you, you're going to have to fight to enjoy it. The victory is yours, but you're gonna have to fight to enjoy it. This is why Satan and his demons are against you, Christians. They don't want you to believe that everything Paul has said in Ephesians is true about your spiritual blessings in Christ. They don't want you to believe that Jesus' death and resurrection actually took your sin away and that Jesus' 
righteousness has been given to you so that you're pleasing to God now. Satan wants you to feel insecure in Christ. Satan wants you to doubt God's love for you. Satan wants to lead you away from the Lord. And he'll use lusts to do that. He'll use conflicts to do that. He'll use your pride to do that. And he'll use fear to do that, among other things. This is what God says. Don't let Satan do that. Stand firm in the Lord and fight the devil and he will flee from you. That's the word of God. That's what it says. Satan is not as powerful as the Lord, but he wants you to think he is. Satan has already been defeated by God, but he wants you to think he hasn't been. So what this means is for us, we're gonna have to stand up, we're gonna have to stand firm, and we're gonna have to fight the good fight of faith for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of our kids, for the sake of the church, and for the sake of future generations. And so this is what Paul's getting at here in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 today. He tells us to fight Satan and the powers of evil with God's power, with God's armor, and with prayer. God's power, God's armor, and with prayer. So first, Paul tells us to fight Satan with God's power. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His might. So as Christians, we must never get cocky in battle and think that Satan is not a formidable enemy. He is extremely cunning, He's extremely strategic, and he's extremely experienced. And we learn from our first father, Adam, and his encounter with Satan in the garden that we humans cannot rely on our own strength in order to defeat Satan. We see that in the first generation of humanity. And that's why the first thing Paul tells us here is, don't rely on your own strength. Instead, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of the Lord's might. So he's using different Greek words here to try to pound into our heads how strong the Lord is, might and strength. And this is how we get it. This is how we appropriate it. Through our union with Christ, we have access to the might of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Through faith in Christ, we have access to the might, the power, the strength of the Lord. Okay, now when you want to think about how great this power is that breathed all things into existence, this is another great passage to consider. First Chronicles 29, 10 to 13. We'll put it on the screen. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. 
This is our God, you guys. And he tells us to rely on his power in our spiritual battles. He is the mighty warrior, the mightiest warrior, and he fights for us over and over again. We see this in scripture, but he wants us to trust him to fight for us. Praise God, he does this. Okay, so second, so first Paul tells us we need to rely on the, on the strength of the Lord, the power of the Lord, and then Paul says, how do we do this? Well, we gotta fight Satan with God's armor. And Ephesians 6, 11 to 13 says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So we rely on God when we put on his armor that he's given to us. The, the, one of the key words you see in this passage is stand. Stand, stand. That's the, he keeps telling us, stand up. And, and so in battle, this is what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to stand against the schemes of the devil. He doesn't want us to fall and to be trapped by the schemes of the devil. And, and what he says here is that our main enemies that we face, they're not the government They're not other people down the street we don't like. They're not other people in the church. Our main enemies are spiritual powers that we can't see. So get your enemy right, Christian, right? These powers that we spiritually fight against are fallen angels that have rebelled against God. They're also called demons. And they have a military. And the the laying, I'm not gonna go into all of this, but these Ephesian Christians all came from a background of magic, okay? And the word that they used before Christ to refer to all of these powers is the same words that Paul is using because he knows that they know exactly what he's talking about. Within their invisible military, they have different ranks. We read there are rulers, there are different levels of authorities, and that Satan is their leader. He's called the prince. He's the prince of the air, and so, again, the, the battle we're fighting is primarily a spiritual battle. Now, Satan and his demons certainly can use people, uh, can employ people. People can voluntarily be used by Satan to do Satan's bidding. But the heart of the battle, the motive, the driving force of the battle happens in the invisible spiritual realm, okay? And until Jesus retur- returns to throw Satan and his demons into the lake of fire, as well as everybody who align themselves with him, Satan and his demons are actively fighting against God. They're fighting against his angels, and they're fighting against every believer on earth. They're fighting the church. So in light of this battle that all of us are in, Paul commands us two times, put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. And now he tells us the pieces of armor we must put on every day, and that we get to put on. The more you study, I mean, I preach this passage two or three different times, but the more you get into this, you see what a gift of gospel grace each piece of the armor is that we have. This is such good news. Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand, therefore, 
having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So let's talk about each one of those one at a time. The first piece of armor God has given us to put on is the belt of truth. Now in ancient times, when a soldier tightened his belt, it wasn't just a physical act, it was that, but it was a symbolic act and it meant he was ready to go to war. Okay? His belt held his tunic in place. It kept the sword ready for him right when he needed it. And just like the soldier's belt, the truth of God is what holds us together in Christ. Okay? If, or to put it negatively, if God's words, if his scripture, if the gospel were not true, then everything would fall apart for us, right? Because our entire faith rests upon the truth of God and his word. And so we praise God that he is true. That's why Jesus said, I am the truth, okay? We praise God that his word, the Bible, is totally true, that the good news of the gospel is true. God is truth. Notice his enemy is described as who? The liar. He's the opposite of God. God is truth. God defines reality. God is the one who tells us what is really going on. He doesn't lie to us. He says, do you really want to know what's going on in the spiritual realm? Do you really want to know what is the driving force behind all of the conflict you see on earth? It's this spiritual battle. And it is vital that we as soldiers of Christ know that we are in the truth. We need to know that. We need to know that truth is the weapon we, we use to fight our enemy with. We need to know that we're fighting for truth and that we are trusting in the truth. Truth permeates our battle plan, okay? Um, truth is our belt that holds us together. It is the belt that prepares us for battle. And then the second piece of armor that God has given to us is the breastplate of righteousness. And so for ancient soldiers, now obviously there's been all sorts of different militaries and soldiers in, in the history of the world, uh, but probably Paul's most immediately talking about Roman soldiers here, possibly Old Testament soldiers too. But for ancient soldiers, uh, the breastplate was the large metal piece that covered the front of the body, right? And the breastplate protected the soldier's vital organs from the thrusts of the swords and daggers, um, from spears swinging around, uh, being jabbed at people, from, from arrows falling from the sky. I agree with Pastor Kent Hughes that for the Christian, the breastplate of righteousness is God's own righteousness that he has imputed to us in Christ. Okay? In other words, we do not defeat Satan in battle because we're covered with our own righteousness. We defeat Satan because we're covered with the righteousness of Christ. We put on Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's the way the New Testament phrases it. Put on Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God's own righteousness covers us. Now, this is what I would add. The righteousness of Christ is not something that we put on and take off, okay? It's not like a breastplate in that way and that sometimes we have it and sometimes we don't. 
Rather, when we talk about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we mean that we are remembering the reality and claiming the reality that we have the righteousness of Christ armoring us from our enemy. And this breastplate of righteousness that we wear is the most epic breastplate ever, okay? It is not able to be pierced. Hear that? Swords can't pierce through it. Tanks can't destroy it. Our breastplate of Christ's righteousness is invincible, Christ, or Christians, because it is the righteousness of Christ himself, our invincible God. Is that awesome? And because we wear the righteousness of Christ, as a result, man, we, <laughs> we're so thankful. We want, to, we want to live righteous lives. We want to live righteous lives that God desires for us. But as we are in battle, our confidence is not in our own righteousness. Our confidence is in the perfect, invincible righteousness of Christ that he's put onto us. Isn't that amazing? Moving on to the next verse, Ephesians 6.15 says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So just like the belt of truth prepares us for battle, so also the shoes that God has given us make us ready to withstand Satan's attacks. Uh, In ancient times, the soldiers wore boots with long metal spikes hammered into the bottom of them. And and so that the soles, they just sunk into the ground and they held the soldiers firmly in place. Um, In Washington, if you've ever played football or soccer or another sport on a muddy field in shoes, you know how helpful it is to have cleats, right? To hold you up. Likewise, the gospel of God's peace gives us grip on the muddy ground, okay? It holds us firmly so that we're ready to fight. It grounds us into the gospel. And without this, without these these cleated boots, which is the peace of God holding us firmly in place, what's the enemy gonna do? He's gonna push us, he's gonna rail against us, and we're gonna slip and we're gonna fall back into the mud. But instead, because we have the gospel of peace driving our feet into the ground, we can boldly stand firm now because we are fitted with the peace of God. And this all happened because of Jesus, right? Because Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death and hell in his death and resurrection. We know that peace is ours. We have peace with God. That's what it means that we're reconciled to God. We're at peace with God now. And because we're at peace with God through faith in Christ, we now have received the peace of God, which we need to claim and remember, right? Because in the heat of the battle, man, it's just so hard to, to remember. Man, I have the peace of God because of Jesus. We gotta trust now, we get to trust now promises like Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thank God for the peace of God that we have. 
Next, Ephesians 6, 16 says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So the next piece of God's armor to use is the shield of faith. And he tells us to take this up in all circumstances. So we've got to trust the Lord in whatever we're doing, okay? There are seasons of life, there are circumstances in life in which we are in more heated battle. And I think one of the things Paul wants us to know though is, listen, you're in the battlefield all the time. And so in all circumstances, trust in the Lord. The ancient Roman soldiers carried shields that were the size of doors, okay? Look at those doors. <laughs> That's a shield you gotta carry out into battle, okay? So they were huge, they were very heavy, uh, they were built with different layers of metal and animal hide. Uh, they would often dip those in water to get the hide wet so that when the flaming arrows of their enemies got stuck in the shield, they would extinguish or the arrows would burn up. Satan shoots all kinds of fiery arrows at us. He shoots temptations at us. He shoots lies at us. He shoots hurtful words at us. He shoots all sorts of his accusations at us. He shoots wickedness at us. He shoots persecution at us. He will shoot at us every flaming dart he has in his arsenal to try to hurt us and to try ultimately to get us to stop trusting in the Lord, to stop fighting for the Lord, to stop praying to stop growing closer to the Lord and to stop loving one another. That's what he wants us to do. And he's shooting arrows at us like crazy to try to get that to happen. And so what has God given us to shield us from all this? A giant, invincible sword of faith. We protect ourselves by shielding ourselves with our God-given faith in the Lord and in all his promises. And this is one of the reasons I believe faith is a gift of God because my confidence is not in my own ability to trust hard enough. I wanna do that, but ultimately my confidence is that even the faith I have is a gift from God. Now there have been times, I was thinking about this in my own life, there have been times in my life when I've been in intense spiritual warfare and I remember actually finding myself lifting my arm up and claiming faith in Christ. You know, where you just feel eros. I don't know, if there are seasons when it's like that. It's like I'm under attack. And man, to claim faith in Jesus, sometimes it's almost like you gotta act it out. Man, the shield of faith is crucial. <laughs> to winning our battles. You don't go into battle without the shield of faith. It is through faith that we've been saved by God's grace, and it's through faith that we are protected from Satan's fiery arrows. And you guys, this is one of the reasons too. It's like, it's so important that we have, need each other. Sometimes, man, you need someone else to help you carry that shield. <laughs> it's because you're tired, you're weak, and you need someone else to help you turn to the Lord and trust him again, right? That's why it's so dangerous to try to live as a silo Christian. 
And then Paul tells us in the next verse, in 6.17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the next piece we gotta use is the helmet of salvation. Now, if you wanted to survive long in battle in the ancient world, you had to wear a helmet to protect your head. I mean, yeah, I'm always thinking about these movies. I mean, I used, you know, movies like Gladiator and Braveheart. You just, that depict what these scenes were like. Or you think about movies like Saving Private Ryan, where they're not arrows but bullets. Listen, you need a helmet protecting you. And what the Roman helmet did is it gave you confidence as you went into battle. You got arrows coming. You don't have time to look at every arrow that's flying down at you from above that could hit you. But if you got a helmet on, you have a much better chance, right? You got swords swinging around you left and right. But if you got a helmet on, you know, man, even if that thing clinks against my head, I'm going to be okay probably. It's way better than just you know, having my head get hit. And so for Christians, God's helmet of salvation is this, I believe. And I say I believe because there's a million different thoughts on this. But when I study it, I believe it is, it is the helmet of salvation is our assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. I believe it's the power of salvation, of, of, the, of the salvation God has given us. It means we believe 100% in the power and efficacy of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He didn't leave some of God's wrath left for us to suffer. He didn't leave some good works for us to still do in order to make up in what his sacrifice lacked. We believe his sacrifice is everything for us. We trust that through Christ, God has not only saved us from our sin. He's not only saved us from Satan, from hell, from our future death. He saved us into himself. He saved us into friendship with himself. He saved us into glory with himself. And we believe that God didn't just die. We believe he rose again. And we don't believe he just rose again. We believe he intercede, or He um, ascended into heaven where he intercedes right now, interceding. He is the king. Listen, you guys, whoever wins on Tuesday, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Jesus is the king. That is the truth. His plan's coming to, it is gonna happen just as he said it is. Not that the election doesn't matter, don't hear me that, but, or don't, don't hear that. I'm just saying, man, at the end of the day, he is the king. He is the ruler. He is the sovereign. He's coming back on a white horse. Okay, and so that is great news for us because we believe that it is his salvation that is what matters for us. It's because of his death and resurrection that we don't fear death anymore. It's because of his death and resurrection that we now do radical things in the name of Jesus that we wouldn't do if we were afraid that this life was all that we had. This is why you do things that don't make sense to the world. This is why for this, you put your life and your family's life on at risk for the sake of the gospel. Because this isn't it. This is not all that we have. It's only gonna get better after this life, Christians. And so we gladly wear this helmet of salvation. It reminds us, man, no matter what we're gonna face, no matter what trials, no matter what tribulations, what terrors come our way, Christ has saved us completely and we belong to him right now and forever. Hear that? We are his Praise God. 
Next, Paul tells us that we gotta take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So how do we fight against Satan and his demons? Using the word of God. It's God's scripture, God's truth, the truth of his gospel. This is what hurts Satan. And obviously, we, when we think about how Jesus started his public ministry right after his baptism, he went into the wilderness, right? And he was tempted and attacked by Satan for 40 days. And what was Satan doing? He was misquoting scripture to Jesus to try to attack Jesus. And so how did Jesus fight back? by correctly quoting scripture back to him and trusting in the promises of his own word. Now, Jesus is our master. And if he had to use the word or chose to use the word to fight Satan, then this is the model for us too. And this is what we're commanded to do. We also must train ourselves to use God's word to fight in this battle. The Holy Spirit, the reason it's the sword of the Spirit is because the, the, the Spirit is God. This is God's word. And the Spirit uses his word with power to attack Satan and to make him flee. Now, I was thinking about this. A lot of you know a lot about weapons in our church. I was thinking about this. You know a lot about pistols and rifles and knives, and bows, and arrows. As a pastor, I've never felt so safe in a church as this church, okay? I know Willie's got my back up here, okay? Um, some of you could blindfold, along with a lot of others of you in here, okay? Some of you could blindfold yourself, somebody could put a gun in your hand, and you could tell them exactly which gun that is. You know what your weapon feels like. You know how much they weigh. You know how to handle them. And I think this is what Paul's telling us. He wants us to know the word of God like that. We want to know the sword of the spirit well. We got to keep learning God's word so that it's, it's hidden here. <laughs> so that's always at the ready. Whenever Satan attacks us, we got to know how to handle it rightly, right? So as to hurt the enemy and not to hurt one another too. And so my challenge for all of us here is this. Do you, Christian, have a battle plan? Do you have a plan for how to use your weapon? Because I think if we don't put a plan in place, basically we're hoping that in the day of battle, hopefully we're going to remember where we put the, the, our sword and we're going to remember how to hold it and how to swing it. And if that's the case, the reality is it's too late because we're in the battle whether we want to be or not. And so we got to pick up the sword or we get to pick up the sword every day and familiar, familiarize ourselves with it and celebrate it and use it in our daily life. We got to train. And so what is your training plan, Christian, in God's word? What is, specifically, I mean, what is your Bible reading goal? Are you reading through the New Testament this year? Um, are you reading through the Bible this year? Are you studying the Gospels? Are you memorizing the Psalms? Are you in a community group going through a book of the Bible where you read some with the group but then you're also studying it outside of the group? We all need the word and we, know how to, we need to know how to use it rightly. Um, and I would just say this, if you need a Bible reading plan, 
please talk to me or other, if you want other ideas, talk to me, talk to one of the elders, talk to another Christian in this church that you know because we're in this together and we need to help one another do that. Um, I believe that as Christians, we need to saturate our lives with scripture. We need to read God's word silently and aloud. We need to read it with our families. This is the practice we've seen in the ancient Christians, the first Christians, all the way back to the Jews in Deuteronomy. God said, I want you to put the word everywhere. I want you parents to talk about it with your kids when you're walking, when you're going on bike rides, when you're going for, uh, when you're taking drives, you know. I, I want you, I want it written in your house. I want you to know it. I want you to know it because this is, <laughs> this is so important and this is how you fight the enemy, okay? Um, we want to show Satan that our homes and our families are a place he doesn't want to be. A place where the sword of the Holy Spirit is wielded and swung day and night. Okay? I was thinking about this too. Parents, this is huge. Huge. This is one of the dangers of individualizing our faith and honestly wanting to be part of a church that is super consumeristic and only has things for me. I need a men's ministry. I need this, 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 this. And my kids will do that, that, and that. Listen, we're a family. Your kids, our kids, are in a serious spiritual battle right now. Think about the future. You think about how much our world's changed in 10 years. You think about where our kids are gonna be in 10 years from now. We as parents have to prep our kids. As a church, we have to prep our kids, our, our future generation. We have to show them this is what it looks like to read your, your Bible. Like this is, this is what a, you know, we can't just expect them to know how to do this. We have to teach them. This is what it looks like to pray. Um, oh, man, I just think we really, really as a church need to be praying for the future generations too. Um, not in addition to ourselves. And Paul's gonna get into this here, but sorry, this is a packed passage and I could have preached this in eight weeks, but I'm, trying, I'm doing my best here to, to do it in one day here. But Paul says this, you need to fight, Satan's, uh, fight Satan and his army with God's power, with God's armor, and with prayer. And then Paul tacks this really important thing on in verses 18 to 12, praying as you do all of this, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery, the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I do like what John Piper says about this, that in spiritual battle, prayer is kind of like our wartime walkie-talkie. It is the tool God has given us to communicate with him and to tell him what kind of backup we need. We gotta use the walkie-talkie of prayer. Paul tells us, pray at all times in the power of the spirit, in alignment with God's will as revealed in his word. Pray with thanksgiving as we pray all kinds of prayers. We don't know the battles that one another is going through, but we're all going through different battles. We need to ask the Lord to supply our needs, but also the needs of one another. 
We gotta do this, and he says this, listen, stay alert. We don't wanna be like the disciples who fell asleep in the garden. Stay alert in the battle and remember that until you meet Jesus face to face, it is wartime. It's not peacetime. That's why we make sacrifices, because it's wartime. We make sacrifices to see God's kingdom advance in the darkness. We persevere when things are hard by asking God, I need more of your power, I need more of your strength, I need more of your anointing every day. And just like Paul asked the Ephesians for boldness to preach the gospel, even when it led to his imprisonment, he doesn't say, listen, you guys, you probably don't want to preach the gospel in certain areas because it could lead to your imprisonment. He says, no, help me to have boldness to preach more. That's hard. (laughs) We should pray for boldness. How many of you need boldness to share the gospel? I'm curious. I do. (laughs) We need to pray for one another, right? The reason it's often so hard to open our mouths is what Paul says and share the gospel is because that's exactly what Satan doesn't want us to do. Satan knows if Christians just keep their mouths shut, then the gospel won't be proclaimed and non-believers won't ever hear and be saved. And so we need, to pre- we need to pray for boldness for one another. That doesn't mean harshness. It means courageousness. It means a right perspective on our identity in Christ and eternity. And I do not talk about this as somebody who hasn't mastered. I am in the trenches with you and I need your prayers too. And so let's remember, man, we're not fighting this battle alone. Praise God, we're in this together. And thankfully though, our strength isn't just in having one another. I'm thankful that God is the one in us. (laughs) And so we come together though and we do life together to uphold one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. We want to make the enemy run away in fear as together we rely on God's power, we put on God's armor, and we pray for God's help in accordance with the scriptures. Amen?